This podcast contains potentially sensitive topics, including strong language, drug and sexual abuse, as well as other conditions of human suffering. Listener discretion is advised. A lot of women couldn't do what I did. I would say most women couldn't, because it's a hard job. It's dangerous, of course, but you have to know the law and you have to be a cutie because they don't arrest you as much. You know, they don't want to believe that you would do that. You just have to know what you're doing. And it's, it's a tough little job. I'm Rex Holbein, and welcome to You Know Me Now, a podcast conversation that strives to amplify the unheard voices in our community. For the past 12 years, I have met and spent a great deal of time with thousands of folks living homeless. There have been countless life-changing for me conversations and friendships that were gained. Through those experiences, I learned how destructive and baseless the dehumanizing effects of the negative stereotype are against ordinary people who are really just like you and me. I want to remind all of our listeners that the folks who share here do so with a great deal of vulnerability and courage. They share a common hope that by giving all of us a window into their world, they're opening an increased level of awareness, of understanding, and connection within our own community. I was born in 51. That's 1951. I was the fourth child. There were six siblings all together. One boy, five girls. And um, we were all blondes. We were all cute. What? Where did you grow up? What city? White Center. Okay, so you, you're from Seattle. Yeah, I'm from Seattle. I'm, yeah. I'm original. Yeah, same here. Yeah, oh, really? I how, didn't know that. How old are you? I'm a 70. You, God, you look good. <laughs> you really look good. Thank you. So yeah. you're 70, year, 70 years old. You have all this life experience. And I would honestly say you've got more experiences than most, right? I mean, you've lived a... I think you've lived a pretty full life. I have, pretty much. I, I enjoy, I've enjoyed it. I'd do the same thing over again. Yep. In this episode, I want you to meet Auntie. I first met her when she was sitting on the back bumper of a truck in the Soto neighborhood in Seattle. She was bent over, rocking back and forth, holding her wrist and wincing, obviously in a great deal of pain. When I came up to her, I asked her if she was okay, and she said, I need to go to the hospital. I think my wrist is broken. At the hospital, we learned her wrist was fortunately not broken, uh, rather only sprained. However, her vitals were not stable enough for her to be released, and because of it, she spent the next three, or I think it was four days, in a hospital bed there. In that short time of her hospital stay... She lost her RV, the one that was her home. It had been impounded. And with no funds to get it out, it was now simply gone, along with everything else she owned. About a week later, I found Auntie again in the Soto neighborhood. She was now sitting on an old truck bench seat that had been pushed up against a cyclone fence along the railroad tracks. She was smoking a cigarette, just hanging out. When she saw me, 
she yelled out with joy, like we had been friends forever, despite the fact that we had only met once. But this is the thing about Auntie. She has a charisma and a charm to her, one that she'll tell you has been with her her whole life and that she holds tight to, using it when needed. By the time I met Auntie, she was at the very bottom of her life journey, being homeless, sick, and in chronic pain, addicted to heroin, but still unbelievably charming. Auntie now lives in subsidized senior housing. She sat down with me to share a bit of her interesting life story with all of you. You're a pretty positive person. Yeah, I'm positive. I mean, I've seen you in some pretty low times. You see on... me really bad. Yeah, you know? sleeping on cardboard in the middle of winter on, 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 on <laughs> yeah. pavement. And, and you were still smiling. I, yeah, of course you got to smile. You can't sit and cry because it's going to get you nowhere. I asked Auntie to begin by telling us about her childhood. You know, I was a girl. I say boy, but I was a girl, but I was really tough. My brother was a year old than me, you know, just a year. So I learned to be get, you know, beat up him, you know, so, so, so I was good. Were your mom and dad a good pair? Did, did they love each other? Um, if he didn't drink, they would have been a good pair. But he drank too much and, you know, he'd sit at the bar and... He, and he would flirt. Mom told me to get in the car. She drove down to a bar. She's seen him. I seen him. And she goes, jump in the back seat, you know, the station wagon. So I did. And she goes, you keep your head down. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course, my head's up like this one. And I'm watching. And my mom could have busted that woman right off her seat. But she didn't. She just picked him up by the ear and said, come on. But she she took care of him. She, you know, kept him in line. Kept him in line. Yeah, when she had to. She was one beautiful lady. She took care of us all, and very nicely, I would say. She didn't work. She stayed in the house with us kids, and my father worked. We lived just like a regular people. We didn't have no special things. Can you tell me one or two or whatever things that you loved about your mother? Um, you know, she was overweight, but I would always um, take my arms and put them around her waist and say, oh, yeah, you're losing weight, you know. And I'd do that, you know, do check with her like that every once in a while. Well, I didn't realize my arms were getting longer, you know. <laughs> okay, that is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> As you were getting bigger, she was getting thinner. Yeah. <laughs> Did she laugh a lot? Was she good? Oh, yeah, she loved, she laughed. She loved me a lot. I mean, I would get in trouble, and I'd get on restriction, of course. And then I would, um, I wouldn't talk to my mother. I'd go and work next to her, and I wouldn't speak at all. <laughs> she hated it. She go, okay, you're off restriction. Okay, Mom, how are you doing, you know? Because <laughs> you were friends, and she wanted to talk with you. Yeah, oh, yeah, we talked all the time. Your mother sounds wonderful. She was she was a happy-go-lucky people. I love her to death. Father would, would come home. He'd stay out and get drunk. Well, he'd get home, and he'd be, you know, like a drunk man. And um, 
he would do something, throw the TV out the window or something, mother just go buy another one. Because he was a welder, yeah, so he made good money. And you would just, sometimes we would just throw the TV out the window? Yeah, because they were fighting. When he came home, they'd fight, and he'd so he'd throw the TV out the window. But we'd always be in the bedrooms. As kids, we'd scatter. Was he that happened. Was, was he violent that way, other than just throwing the TV? He didn't hit any of us, yeah. you know. He didn't hit mother. Yeah, he just had to He just had to. He vent. vented by throwing the TV out. He threw a few of them out. You know, he came home drunk a few times. So she would, you know, I mean, she fought back. She, you know, she was, she terrorized back. She was verbal. You know, she didn't hit him. There was no violence like hit, you know. So she was a tough, she was a tough cookie. But yeah, she was a tough cookie. Kind of like you. Kind of like me, yeah. When Auntie was 15, her mother became suddenly sick. It was a pivotal moment in her life. She, when she went to the doctors, she was laying down, I don't know, she was just sick. I got her, gave her a bath, got her dressed, and took her across the street for she'd go to the doctors. And she must have had premonition of something because she asked me what flower I liked the best. And she just, you know, asked questions that you don't ask. And she made me promise to graduate. And I wanted to get go out and smoke, so so I said, here she is, you know, I wanna go. But you know, she I gave her a kiss and she left. And uh, next thing I knew I heard my father walking up the walkway and he was crying. And he goes, Get up, your mother just is dead. He was very rude. It was very horrible the way he said it. You know, like he didn't even care. So that was a very tight moment for me. But yeah, I loved her very dearly. So I think she had Prima, she knew. And she um, she got to the doctor's office. I guess she told the neighbor to stop. And so she had to catch her breath. And uh, um, she's Got, she stopped the car. She, my mother got out of the car, stood up, and then went right down to the ground. She died of a blood clot. She was, boom, dead, dropped like a fly. It was horrible. You know, I, I'm glad I didn't see it. That is one thing I'm glad. You know, yeah, I loved my mom greatly. You know, she was a good woman. She passed away with her when I was 15. Yeah, so the whole family was, because I broke it up, I had to. Wait a minute. My father was going to, he told me to get in my mother's bed. Like, I was going to do that. I don't think so. What, What do you mean by he told you to get in your mother's bed? What does that mean? Because he was going to crawl in and do me. Really? Yeah. I mean, I knew he was going to rape me. And that's why I said, no way, and I got out of there. You know, I mean, I was ready to fight him. He tried to push me in that bed. I pushed back. I hit him. I didn't care. You know, he was not going to rape me. He was not going to put me in my mother's bed. You're fucking crazy, you idiot. 
you know. I fought back. Most girls don't, but I fought back. And I told him to fuck off, you know, and I had to punch him. And I did, you know. And of course I wasn't going to go do that. It's just, I was not raised like that. My mother, you know, she taught us better than that. And, I mean, I was just smarter than that. And so you have to be able to put your foot down on certain things, you know. I called my aunt, got my little sisters out of there, and I went to my other aunts. And we talked to the police, and they were going to put him in jail and prison. But my grandma begged me not to do it. That changed everybody's life because um, I I separated the family completely. I wouldn't, wouldn't let my sisters go back in the house young ones. They stayed with my aunt and uncle for years. I went to uh, my aunt and uncle's, but she got jealous of me because I had bigger boobs than her. You know, it was terrible. So I went to the youth center. She put me in the youth center. And so I was there for like 40 40 days and 40 nights. It wasn't bad if you ruled the nest. And I ruled the nest, you know, in there. There was a girl wearing a pair of cutoffs, and I wanted them, so I took them. This one lady told her in there, one girl, and said, Do you know what she's in here for? And uh, she says, she's in here for fighting black people. She knifed them, you know. And so she told that girl that story, and so she didn't mess with me. You had a reputation. Yeah, so I had the a reputation in there of really busting shit up, you know. That was funnier than heck. I don't know why they believed her. So you must have had some attitude. I could talk my shit. You know, I can talk the shit, <laughs> and I can follow through if I have to. 1967 was a really difficult year for Auntie. She was just 15 years old and had to deal not only with the death of her mother, but also several weeks before the passing of her grandmother, who she was very close to and was also living with the family. Additionally, before Auntie was moved to the youth center, only a few weeks after her mother died, her father, unbelievably, remarried. We had to accept her because she moved into our house. And so that didn't work out too well. So we had to put her somewhere else. So we put her in prison. You know, and just we didn't want to deal with it. So, but we got rid of it, so we didn't have to. Okay, I got to ask. <laughs> you can't just let that one lie on the table. <laughs> how, how, how is it that she ended up in prison? She was married to another man, too. She married my father. She, they were going to get his money and rob him and take it all. Wait a minute. She was married to another man? Yes. But then pretended to be single and married your father, and the whole thing was a scam? It was a scam, yep. That's exactly what happened. And you, and you, you guys all exposed it somehow? Well, I did because she thought I was a dumbass 16-year-old. She asked me to go along with her this day. He was visiting her husband because she took me to his workplace. They were talking, and I heard the talk. Even though I was sitting away from them, I, I, I cranked my ears up and listened, you know, really hard. We had to do something because we just didn't like the lady, bitch. 
you know, is what I would call her, because people like that I just don't care about, you know, in my world or anybody else's world. You know, that's just wrong. But she wasn't in love with your father. She was... No, she was stealing him. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So yeah, no, she didn't love him. I don't think he loved her. You know, it was just a woman in the house because he had never lived without a woman. And, I mean, we we could tell she was using him. I mean, you could see it. You could see what she was doing. She was planning a wedding. He, you know, they just seen him in a bar and said, this hit on him. You know, he lost his wife. That's what they did. They hit on people. Because she was married to a few, couple other guys as well. And your father? What, what? How did it hit your father? And boy, he was not a happy man. You know, he was hurt, you know, and he was pissed because she was only wanted him for theft. And how are you doing? I mean, that's a lot to handle at 15, 16 years old. Like, you broke the family up for good reason. Yeah, for a great reason. Yeah, for great reason. And and then you go to a youth center, and you're 16, right? Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. What, like... Can you share what your thoughts or feelings were during that time? Because I'm, I'm telling you, if I was doing that at 16, I'd probably would have spent half my time on the couch crying. No, no, I didn't have time for that. You know, you just don't have time for it sometime. You just pick you yourself up. You know, you up. can't feel sorry for yourself when you have to figure out what you're going to do. You know, so that's what I just did, it. you know. But, yeah, Lois and Rainer came and got me, and I was, you know, somebody loves me, you know. And they were good to you? Oh, yeah, very good. That was mother's best friend. Of course she's got to be good to me. <laughs> Otherwise, mother would have never liked her. You know, so, yeah, she was good to me, and Maynard was. After Auntie moved in with Lois and Maynard, her life got a bit calmer and a bit more stable. They enrolled Auntie into school. They put me in school right away. You know, so I didn't miss a beat, really. You know, I wasn't real smart, but I was smart enough. But I worked on getting good grades, you know. And it wasn't easy to me either, So, but I knew I had to work hard. Then I met a dude, and then I married him. And did you, did, how old were you when you married him? 18. Yeah. And did you graduate? Did you get your high school diploma? Not at that time. But I was trying to go to school still, and... And I was, I changed schools, because I lived in a different area with him. And so I was. I went to the 11th grade, and that's when I quit, is in 11th grade. You and, know. and why Why did you drop out? Because it was just too hard to, you know, it was getting just too much for me. So I just, screw this. And I skated for a long time. You know, without getting a diploma, but I um, finally went in and took, you know, the class. So I went in and I passed that test with, an a, you know, a good A. And um, that was just common sense. You know, that's all that was. Yeah. How, old, how old were you when you went back and did that? I got that when I was in my 40s. Yeah, but I, I got it. Because it was important to you? What? I mean, when you're in Because your- my mom made, made me promise to graduate. You know, I, 
You were and keeping he, you were keeping your promise to your mom. So I kept that promise to her, yes. You know, it may have been a little bit later in life than she expected, but I got it. I wasn't pregnant when I got married. Because I wouldn't get married if I was pregnant. Because I would never have let, let a man say, I had to marry you. There's just no way I would do that. A few of my friends had to get married because they were pregnant, you know. Because you wanted to know that he was marrying you because he loved you. Yeah. Not because he was obligated. Because he had to. Yeah. Makes sense. And I was just that kind of girl, and I didn't run around screwing people. You know, I had pride in mine. And so that's the way I was brought up, you know, until 16. And then, um, but, you know, I was faithful to my mom in ways that, you know, we lived, you know. People just don't do that now. Were you in love? Like, really in love? I thought I was really in love, yeah. It lasted quite a while. How long? Um, 12 years. Auntie and her first husband bought a house together in White Center and had two children. But things changed when her husband got injured working at a heavy steel industrial shop. Yeah, but then he just, um, he pooped out on his youngness. You know, he got hit in the head with a sheet of steel. And he was lucky there was two tables, steel tables there. Otherwise, he put him in crushed. But it hit his head and it blew his ears out. It hurt him pretty bad. So he was laid up for a bit, and that was okay. You know, we I took care of him. So, Auntie, you, your husband gets injured, and you guys are still in the house. What? We're still married. We were still, still married. married. Yep. And so we did the best to be happy. But he... I mean, he went to work and back, work and back. And I wasn't working, you know, there for a while, which was fine. He made enough money, you know. And it sounds like eventually you got divorced. Yeah. You guys kind of fell out of love or... Yeah, it, you know, well, it wasn't mutual. I fell out of love with him. It was what it was. And I had to go. So I gave him everything. You know, I didn't want anything, even though that was my dream home. He had said he was going to kill himself, and I wasn't going to have it. You know, he's not going to put that on me. While still married to her first husband, Auntie became involved with another man. He was uh, my my best friend's boyfriend for a, a while, so he was like family. They just put us together too many times. You know, made us do this together, made that together. And so we just started doing things together. And, you know, we would bowl, we joined a bowling team. They were supposed to be with, right in with us because we all decided we're going to be bowling team. They didn't feel like it. You know, they pushed us together, you know, too much. One thing leads to another. And yet one thing does lead to another because he was my best friend. My best friend's boyfriend, if you can understand that. Yep. Yep. And that hurt her badly when we told her. But we had to tell her, you know, that we were seeing each other. And did you also tell your husband? Was that part? Oh, you keep busting me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I had my clothes on, so, you know, it wasn't like I was naked. 
<laughs> but, you know, yeah, he walked in from there I was. Laying there sleeping like a baby. And all of a sudden, he jumps on me. <laughs> you know. He didn't jump on the guy. He tried to beat the guy up. He tried to beat me up. But he didn't hurt me or anything, you know. He was very, very, very hurt about that. My marriage was done, you know. I mean, and, and, and I'm glad it was, you know. I'm glad we got busted. Because then everything came, you know, to the top. Yeah. And, uh, Life gets complicated, doesn't it? It is complicated, let me tell you. Don't go through that. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to remember that. <laughs> At this time in her life, Auntie was working as a preschool teacher and enjoyed her time with the kids. She really loved her job. That's about all I ever did. Were you good? I was very good at it. I would yeah. imagine, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I uh, bet the kids loved you. <laughs> they did. The teachers were jealous of me because I could go out and ask for anything. I didn't care. I was walking down the street, and I they was coming out of the shop, and they was owned it. And I go, oh, if I bring a bunch of children down here, would you talk to them? And, you know, so they'd say yes, and... And I did it to a fish, fish and chip shop over at by Alki. So I asked him if the classroom would come down. And he goes, yeah, I could handle that. And I go, okay, thank you. You know, my little cute voice. And um, were, you, were you a charmer? Uh-huh. Yeah, I could get almost anything I wanted. In addition to being a preschool teacher, Auntie also had another job. She, in fact, had a secret life that she kept from the outside world. To put it simply, Auntie was very good at selling drugs. She was a drug dealer. When I asked about her earliest memories of being around drugs, she began by sharing that her parents allowed her to drink beer in the house from time to time while growing up. It was then she realized she could make some side money by selling the beer rather than drinking it. I would take a beer. I, I would get a six-pack in a week. And I'd take it to school and sell it because I could make money. But it's not like I was stealing because otherwise I would have drank it. You know, so I figured, well, it's mine. So that's why I took a six-pack. And just turned it to cash. Made, it, made, made sense to me. And... Can you talk a little bit about the progression of that? First beer, and then how did it move forward in your life? Well, we always had parties at our house, my husband and I. So that was early on, when, you know, right after we got married. You know, I just run into people, and they give us dope and shit, and pot, you know. And his, my husband had a friend. She was, you know, asked me if I'd go for a ride with her. And I go, yeah, not a problem. And so I jumped in her car, and she was out picking up pounds of dope. And I go, hmm, nice. Dope meaning marijuana. Marijuana, yeah. And so, you know, I bought a couple pounds off her. I started selling lids, and um, and that's what they were called back then. Yep, I remember that. Lids. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, you are like was 20 years old or 19. 18. 18. Okay. Yeah, I was still 18. 
So I, you know, I just started doing pot, selling pot. Then I'd trade for this, for that. Well, I ran into a guy that sold speed. So, of course, I bought that. And that was a good sale. That was easy money. You know, I mean, I got up to where I was buying a pillow, a speed. A pillow's worth, a pillowcase. Yeah, a pillow is... Um, I don't know what a pillow is. <laughs> thousands of pills, yeah. Did you have moments during the time selling drugs that that were uh, both either very scary for you or just hilarious, like, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Can you share... Can you share a few um, of those stories? My husband and I got stopped. I think this is hilarious. I wasn't afraid because I had the dope hidden. I, it was 25 jars I went to pick up. We picked it up, and my husband was driving, and he insisted on driving the truck with no tags, or a tag expired. And I just knew we were going to stop. So I stopped the grocery store, of course, and bought some food. And, you know, put them in a bag, and there's potatoes sticking out and stuff like that. Well, I put the stuff in the bottom. And, you know, the old grocery trick. And it worked because cops stopped us. <laughs> and I had to say, I said, Tony, you shut up, because he looks guilty. Yeah, let me do all the talking. I said, you let me talk. You just keep your mouth shut. And so he did. He followed and I go, officer, it's my fault. I know. I just start booming out with talking. And I go, I'll make sure he gets them on Monday and blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, I think it's funny because I had it in there, but I wasn't scared. I was happy and joyful to talk to the cop. I wanted him to know it was my fault, not my husband's, that the tags weren't on there. You know, like a stupid wife. You know, I, I took the rap for all that. And the cop just laughed, you know. He didn't write him a ticket or nothing. And I go, I promise I'll get him now. <laughs> you know? I mean, I could work the cops. They always let me do whatever I wanted to. You know, I mean, I just carried dope right in front of them. And, you know, if you're nice and smile, they let you slide. Nice and smile gets you a long ways in this world. Get you a mile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> smile gets you a mile. Yeah. Did you ever get caught with drugs? No. Never. never. Yeah. No, I mean, I was so fortunate to have a good mouth. One was, um, I picked up some dope for some other people, and so I picked up quite a bit. And I had the kids with me. And boy, I didn't want to get caught. So I shoved it, you know, in places where, you, where you're not supposed to find it. And I on a Volkswagen, that's a little rough, but little, I a, did a it. Little bug? A little bug? Yeah, a little bug, yeah. And um, so, yeah, that was a scary one for me because I had to move around to where I didn't see cops, you know, because they knew my bug. You know, because they stopped me in it a few times and wanted to date me. You know, a few different cops did. Jerks. You know, I'm not going out with you. I'm married. You know, and they wouldn't believe that either. One cop followed me home to know exactly where I lived. You know, he had my address. You know, I had a license. He took that. 
persistent. It was crazy. So, yeah, I um, I didn't want him to see me or catch me and stop me, nothing. So I went different routes to get home. By the time Auntie was married to her second husband, she was really stepping up her drug dealing business. We started selling cocaine. We, we sold drugs, and we were very good at it. And, I mean, we made money. And I can't blame my husband for that. You know, it was something we both decided together to do. What was the, like, at the peak of selling drugs, what, like, what is that like? Like, how do you juggle all of the people, the money, the worry about getting busted? Uh, it's very hard. Very so, it hard. sounds stressful to me. People lose it when they're taking the drug. You can't take the drug and sell the drug because you lose it. Everybody loses it because a man will, you know, jump in bed with any of the women. They take their steel dope. And that's a common thing. You know, as they'll steal it, they can get it, they take it, and run with it. And the money, too, because you make a lot of money, you don't know where to stick it anymore, because you got so much all over the place, you know, and you put it in socks. I mean, I found money in my husband's socks all the time. We're talking a couple grand, you know. Because it's just flowing in. Because you really need to have a bank account to put it in, but you can't do that. But, you know, because then the law will catch up with you. And that's how they do. You know, common sense tells me a lot of things about traffic. You can't have traffic coming and going. So you have to make them stay for a certain amount of time. And then, you know, go quietly out, you know. And, you know, they weren't allowed to be loud over at my house. You know, cause any disturbances at all. So you weren't doing anything that caused a wrinkle. That people, that people could then point to. Yeah, no wrinkles. No wrinkles. Wrinkle-free zone. Yeah. So here's a question for you. There, there's, a, there's an image of a preschool teacher, right? I mean, yeah. and it's one of nurturing kids. Yeah. It's of teaching, yeah. helping. And then there's an image of a drug dealer. Yeah, and I still and, sold drugs. And <laughs> Were you selling drugs during that time? Yeah. But nobody knew that. So how, can you explain tight walk, tightrope walking those two different worlds? Like, like, how do you... It wasn't... How do you explain that? I just did that in the evening. You know, people would come to my house. And I'd sell it to them, you know. It was just, you know, I could do it. I could handle it. Because I've kept my mind tight. You know, one of the things that I love hearing from you is the love that you have for your mother right yeah. and the respect and and also you know doing right by her you're going in your 40s to go back and get your high school diploma right yeah. to, make, yeah. to make good on a promise i promise i and i did it yeah and so so you're clearly a woman that that like uh, these things are important to but uh, to her but mm. at the same time you you know that drugs are are ruining people's lives let's yeah. just say and oh yeah i watched it and and yet you were a part of selling that. So how do you how do you get your head around that? Did you ethically or morally just keep the drug selling in a box then? Like it was something separated out from your life? It was totally separate from my work. My family, I mean. I did it. My kids didn't know what I was doing. 
you know, I didn't tell them. We just had a lot of friends come drop by, and they knew we had a lot of friends. And a few of my, the parents that I, of the classroom, they bought some even. And so I kept that quiet for them because I didn't want them to get in trouble. And that would bust me. <laughs> so it was, it was a tight circle you were managing. It was very tight and very quiet. I, I want to ask a tough question. And, and you know I love you, so this is not a judgment. I know. But, but do you think, do you have any ill feelings about the ethical side of having sold drugs? Do you ever reflect, being a woman now of your age, do you look back on it and reflect? Or I would do the same thing over. Or here's another thing. Do you think your mother, if she was looking down, would say... Oh, she'd be pissed. <laughs> She'd pull me up and say, you're going to heaven right now, or you're going to hell. You know? Oh, yeah. I apologize to her every year on her birthday. Mm. You apologize for having sold drugs. I apologize for being a bad girl, not for selling drugs. Mm. Not any of that. Because I did what I needed to do. And that's what I did. And I didn't hurt anybody, you know, if it was bad, dope, I didn't sell it, you know. I wouldn't do. I wouldn't hurt anybody, you know. And it probably did hurt some of them, and I didn't know about it, you know. But I wouldn't purposely hurt anybody. Yeah, I know that about you. So when you say you apologize for being a bad girl, what, what does <laughs> what does a bad girl ba- mean? A bad girl sells drugs. <laughs> yeah, a bad girl does bad things, and so. I just apologize, and that's it. So, Auntie, like, clearly all of this stuff is illegal. And how do you... Clearly. Yeah, clearly. So how do you... You know it's illegal. How do you... Stay low. How do you feel okay with it being illegal? Like, where? how does that line... I feel like you and I It's a little daring. Yeah, but but, but it's okay to break the law. For me... Hmm. You know? How come? Because I'm good at it, and I never got caught at all. Never. Yeah, because you were good. Because I was that good. Yeah, but what about it just being wrong? I don't think it's wrong. To break the law? It's not breaking the law to me. It's natural. It comes out of the earth. Hmm. I should be able to do it. So you're basic, and I'm not saying that I don't do the same thing, right? Like when, when I'm on the freeway in the and the speed limit says 55, and I go 65, Yeah, I'm breaking the law. I know You're that. You're breaking the law. So I'm, what I'm really saying in that moment is, I know the law says 55, but I don't think it applies to me right now, and it's not doing anybody any harm for me to go 65. Yeah, exactly. Is that how you feel about drugs? Yeah. They're the same, yeah. Yeah. As long as I'm careful and I don't hurt people. I don't kill them, you know. I don't overload them. Because people will take as much as you give them, hmm. you know, or sell them. So some were, people will take it all. So they shoot were, it up. You were being careful with people. Very careful. Do you think, now this would, this would cut into the profitability of selling drugs, but do you think drugs should be legalized? Well, if it was, there wouldn't be so much shit going on. I'll tell you that. There wouldn't be as many homeless people. If, if they... You know, put locations where people could do drugs, you know, 
I think that would be okay. People could do it in their home, you know, so it wouldn't be so bad. Cut down on the crime. I think we totally cut down on the crime. So, yeah, I, I don't think it was, you know, I mean, they can control it just like they're, they're controlling pot right now. And all the drug dealers shut down. They can't sell their pot anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people actually on the street that, are, that used to sell pot and are, are, quite frankly, pissed about it. So what you're saying is, if they can do it for pot, why don't they just do it for all the drugs? Yeah, for everything. If they can control that, it's so good. The product would be cleaner. You'd know it. It would be regulated. Yeah. And it could be controlled and taxed. It would be better dope. They would, you know, sell it at a good price so you know that they're making money, good money on it. Somewhere along the way, Auntie developed a taste for the drugs herself. She took speed, snorted cocaine, and later started to shoot it. Both of her marriages fell apart due to drugs and, of course, the chaos of that lifestyle. And then my husband and I separated. And he was doing heroin. I tried it once and I hated it. I said, this is not for me. Well, husband and I broke up. We were married for but we broke up after um, five years. After our marriage, we broke up. Because, I mean, he slept with everybody in town, mind you. I don't know what diseases he had or anything, but I'd never go back with him. Because once you, once you do something that's used meat, is what I call it, you know. He had sex with every one of the girls. He was a used cock to me then. Used meat is what I call it. Yeah. When a man that you're married to, or a boyfriend, whatever, if they do somebody else, that's used meat. I don't want them. Mm-hmm. You know, they stuck it somewhere, they shouldn't have been. Yeah. Yeah, so that's used meat. That was over. I, and I just walked out. Yeah, I, was, I just walked away. Yeah. You know, I did that with um, all of them. Yeah. I just walked away from yeah. them, yeah. Yeah. I didn't want nothing. You've had some rough... Relationships with men. Do you have a, just those two? Yeah, I don't mean rough physical, but just you know. I think your father obviously was out of bounds. Right? Oh yeah, definitely and, and, a drunk. And tried to rape you. Oh yeah, I tried to yeah molest me. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, do you do you have are men good good people or no? You, they're great. I love yeah, them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it was my own fault for getting in some of that trouble. Mm. You know, and just theirs it was me too yeah you know i mean i I, takes two i was a good one for getting in trouble yeah you know you want to fuck with me i'll fuck with you back yeah you know yeah where did you learn that what that you fuck with me i'm gonna fuck with you back just my mouth (laughs) it led you there and sometimes i had to prove it you know back it up once you said it yeah but i did it now i said it i gotta i gotta back it up yeah i gotta back this shit up and i did you know, you know, like uh, part of what the You Know Me Now podcast is trying to do is, uh, I mean, the reason I wanted to interview you is because I love who you are. I, I really <laughs> do. I love our friendship. And I, I just, I don't know, I enjoy talking to you. And, I, and I, I, I see the beauty in you, like who you are as a human. 
Mm. And I, I know that, and I like that because you're not judging me. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because that leads into actually my question, which is um, the reason you know me now is doing these podcasts is for other people to see the beauty in someone that they might normally just judge, right? So, yeah. So oh, people yeah. are going to, there, will peop, there are so many people that hear drug dealer and they, they right away say, they just check off my list. Oh, yeah, you're a dirty person. You're, you're, you're ugly, you exactly. know. You're, you sell drugs to people. You kill people. No, I'm not a killer. Yeah. Thank you, you yeah. know. So this is my question. What, like, what, would you say to, uh, what would you say to all those people who are judging you unfairly or incorrectly? I just laugh at them. Yeah. But, Auntie, what, like, not just laugh at them, but like, what would you say to them like to say, hey, you know what? You're judging me incorrectly because I. What would you say? What would what would I, what would open their heart to actually see you differently? Well, most people do not take the time to listen. You know, I'm just a drug dealer. You know, they just she just wants me to buy drugs from her. You know, that the dealer's gonna instantly if they touch them, they're gonna be high or something. You know, and they do. And that's why you get judged so quickly. Yeah. But no, because of my mouth, people trust me. They let me into their home, and they don't judge me as a drug dealer. They don't see me as that because I don't portray that when I go into their home. I, I mean, really. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, like even before you told me your story, uh, you know, it would be easy to have put all these uh, judgments together mm -hmm. right but you have a you have a really beautiful energy about you that yeah. disarms that yeah I quickly. put it out yeah, yeah. and and uh, I think that's easily felt when you're near you I wonder what are the things that people need that aren't near you that need to hear about you like how do you define yourself like if you were to say in in less than a minute like who is auntie who are you oh auntie's a friendly lady you know <laughs> Loves animals, you know. Yeah. Helps people out if they need it. The gardener. Yeah, a gardener. <laughs> My hobbies are, you know, gardening, bowling. You know, I enjoy doing that. And um, she's an okay person. I'm okay, you know. I'm normal and okay. That's all. You're more than okay in my book, but... Nothing special. <laughs> I, I actually think you are, but... <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell them. Nothing special. Yeah. But I know that I have my armor around me as well as my generosity with my person, you know. Well, what, what did you with say? energy. You have, your, you have your armor around you? Yeah, I always have the armor around me. What my is armor that? suit. Yeah, what does your armor look like? Well, it's... Not guns and swords or anything like that, but it is, you know, for I don't get hurt. Just, you know, I don't suck into everybody's shit. Yeah. Because I know people's shit. You know, I went through a lot. But I've always given. That's one thing I've always done. If somebody needed food, I'd make up food baskets right away. Take everything out of my house and give it to them. It wouldn't bother me. Would you recommend to somebody that was 18 to follow the same path? Like, you know, hold down a, side, hold down a job but then sell drugs on the side if they, 
if they had your abilities? If they wanted to, and if they had the right attitude. And Your answer is consistent with something you said earlier about, which is you don't really have any regrets. Like <laughs> you're, you f it feels like you followed your conscience. You had, a, you had rules for yourself and you followed them. Yeah. And, and some of the behavior was doing illegal drug selling, but it fell into you know, a, a view that said if you weren't harming somebody and you were taking care of the people that you were helping or serving drugs to, selling, it, it, it worked. It worked. It, we, I functioned very well. For a period of time, Auntie moved out of the state, first to Florida and then South Carolina. At that time, she was also experiencing a number of health issues. She had multiple leg surgeries, a knee replacement, and some serious back issues that took a toll and contributed to major chronic pain. A doctor in South Carolina talked Auntie into getting a pain pump that automatically dispensed Dilaudid, which is a synthetic narcotic in the opiate class of drugs, one that is highly addictive. During that time, to make matters even worse, Auntie was robbed in her home and severely injured. She spent a great deal of time in the hospital going through physical therapy, actually learning how to walk again. Ultimately, she ended up back in Seattle living with a relative, but that living situation was not working out. In fact, it was no longer safe for her to stay there. By then, the pain pump was also not working, and Auntie started to use small amounts of heroin to control her chronic pain problem. She did not want to be a burden on her children, so she bought an RV and started to live in it at the age of 64. Yeah, I had the RV, and I lived in it for three years. So, like, from 215 to 218, kind of, in that Yeah, time. yeah, I met you right in that area, yes. I was doing dope in there for a few years. So this was Soto, right? yeah. Okay, let me tell you what I remember, how we met. You, Dee had told me there was a woman that I should meet, and, and you were sitting on the back, back bumper of a guy's camper. The truck, yeah. Yep, and you had said that a guy that you were staying with in an RV oh, yeah. had, had yeah. beat you up. He beat me up, yeah, Earl. Yep. Yeah, he, he, yeah he, he put me under, he, helped, he put, put my pet head under, under a blanket, and he's going like this to my head, you know. And he wanted to do it some more. Well, he let me walk back across the street. And he goes, you get over to my temple right now. And you get in it. Yeah, right. That's just what I'm going to do. Because <laughs> I want more abuse. <laughs> yeah, I want you to hit me some more. Your heroin use was probably ramping up. You were starting to use more and more heroin? No, I never went to more. I've always used 10 in the morning and 10 in the evening. I never ever used more than that. I see. What does 10 mean? Um, 10, 10 means $10 worth. It's, it depends on how much water you put into it. It's how many um, units you get, you're, you're doing, yeah. I just needed it for the pain, you know, so it took the pain off. Because the pain pump had stopped working. Yeah, the doctor, he fired me. Oh, that's right, because you stopped paying, making payments on Yeah, it. the payments, yeah. So they just... They just Cut it off. Yeah, he's, yeah, well, it went, when it ran out. I see. Yeah. 
And when it ran out, that's all you get. So that's why I went to heroin. I mean, I was in so much pain. When the pump ran out, oh, boy, did it hit me like a brick wall. And um, you had to go back to that. So I just said, get me heroin. Get me some heroin. Because I knew that would take away the pain. So they went and got me some heroin. So, you know, what's interesting about hearing your story is that for whatever reason, I thought you had been homeless for years and years. No. But when I met you, you were really experiencing homelessness as a new part of your life. I mean, this was pretty new, mm-hmm. a new chapter. Yeah. How did that go for you? Like what? Like Doing fine. I had to do what I had to do. You seen me. You are just something else. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have time to worry about it. Just I got to do it. Just do it. Yeah. So, I mean, can you explain any of that? Like, like I know you're a can-do person, but I had like I had the RV, and then you know, like all these things were happening to me. Um, you know, I got my leg was broken. I was hit by hit by the car for that, but just. Different things kept happening to my body, you know, and people said, she just won't die, you know, all the people down there. I remember when I met you, right, you're, you're, you were in so much pain yeah. with your wrist, and, and I said, you need to go to the ER. So yeah. I drove you Yeah, I said, no, Harbor, I don't want to. To Harborview. No, I didn't take you to Harborview, to Virginia Mason. In, yep, and, the end. And I remember... You know, I just met you. Yeah, 20 I minutes. know. I just and, met you. And and we were on the freeway on I five heading north, and you rolled the you you said you said I'm gonna you look at me you go I'm gonna throw up I'm gonna throw up yeah you're in a lot of pain yeah and I and I'm thinking oh god I just met this woman she's oh, gonna she's gonna god. throw all over my car so I quickly rolled lowered the window and you you just kind of leaned your head out and then. You just threw up over the whole side of the car and out the window. And I remember there was a car on the other in the other lane, and they were just looking over at you. <laughs> just I didn't thinking, care. Okay, this is a scene. Yeah, let me get that on camera. <laughs> splat, splat on their windshield. Yeah, I had to. I, I mean, I wanted to get up, go out a little further, but you told me not to. I remember that. <laughs> well, I didn't want you to go out the window. And then you said. I like you. <laughs> Here I am puking on your car. So after that, you you lost your you didn't have an RV because no, when you when you were released from the hospital, I think you were there for a few days. Well, yeah, the, they took the one away from me. The cops took it. Yep. Yeah, and then um, did they take it away from you when you were? I was in the hospital. I said four days, and I was getting out. And then when you got out, they was gone. And they had taken it, yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, when I came to look for you after you got out of the hospital, you were, you were down in Soto along the railroad tracks there. Yeah. And there was a yeah. couch. That yeah, you were, there, no, but it was a back seat. Of, oh, yeah, it was a, that's right. It was a yeah. back seat of a car. It was sitting there. An R- RV. Yeah. And I remember when I was talking to you, uh, you know, like asking you, where are you going to go? How are you going to do? And, you know, and you said, well, I'm just going to sleep right here. And as you were saying it, I was looking over your head out to the west and out yeah. over West Seattle, there was a giant black rain cloud coming. And I said, I remember saying to you, Auntie, it looks like it's going to 
pour rain here. You're what are you going to get wet? What are you going to do? <laughs> and and when, it, when it starts raining and you look at me and go, I'm going to get wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the truth. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, there were a couple other times I came to visit you when you were outside on the pavement in the winter, sleeping on cardboard. You had a. Oh, yeah, that was over on Rainier. Yep. Over I had you. a couple of blankets. They were heavy. And, yeah, but still, I just, I, I really couldn't understand how you were doing it. And, and here's, what, here's where I'm going with this, too, is leading to a question. The picture you just showed me of you, how old were you in that picture? You looked pretty young. Oh, I was like... Um, like 19? 25. 25? Maybe. Maybe. Right? Like, like you look like... You look like you just gotten out of college. I look at that picture, and I see a different person. And when you look back on your life, did you live the life you were going to live, or did it surprise you? Like, did you? Oh, oh I got surprises, all, you know, a bit. But I mean, could you have just as easily been a nurse at the hospital and lived that? I life? could have never been a nurse, okay, but well, I could have easily been a machinist, okay. you know, or, or iron worker or something. And been completely. It's a, satisfied, yeah. But then I would have burned out on that, I guess. I I, I have to have a. Adventure. I have to have something to do. I'm. I'm just wondering uh, how you ended up living this life. Like, what turned it to that? And and I also turned it to to a life of basically a drug dealer. Drug dealer and and also you know a a, a pretty gypsy. I mean, well, you know, when I saw you homeless, I mean, I really was worried for you. Oh, I know. Almost you every were. night. I mean, you were you were really. I got to a real low point. I know I did. Yeah. But I wasn't gonna quit. Yeah. You know, I couldn't quit. I mean, I might late in the rain a little bit, but you know, people would have taken care of me. I know that. Yeah, you are such a survivor. Yeah. You have to be. Do you? Do you? The life you you have lived to this point is it? Is, is it a life that you have any regrets with? I'd no. do it again. You do it. You do it exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and, and I just want to say, you, you said yes with a big smile on your face. Yeah, because <laughs> I would. Well, if I didn't live this life, I wouldn't have been there to do that. So yeah, I enjoyed my life because otherwise I wouldn't have done it. You know. I can say something about what I did, you know, with my life. It might have not been what they would have done, but it's what I did, you know. And I would do it again, you know. I don't want to sit on a pedestal and let somebody else do all what I need to do, you know. And I guess that's the way I would say it. And you have to be tough. You know, anybody that, any girl that is out there on the streets and in a home, they have to be tough or they're not going to make it, you know. They have to be honest with themselves to say if they're not tough, they'll lose and they will lose that battle. 
if they don't get toughened up, they're just gonna, um, I don't want to say they're gonna be weak, but they're just not gonna have a fulfilled life of strength that they could have. Like if, if there were three people here that they got to be a part of this conversation and mm-hmm. you shared all this, that you were a drug dealer and they were kind of really put off by all that. Like, what would you say to them to say? Like, what would <laughs> so you don't know it unless you tried it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, don't put judgment on me. You have no right to because they don't. I'd say that to anybody, you know, this is what I did with my life. What did you do with yours? And I would ask them that. And I'd see what they said. And there's probably a lot of things they did that they don't think was bad. But it, to me, maybe it was. You know? So, I just never worry about things like that. I know what I've done. And I, I've done a lot of things. I want to stop and take a moment to reflect on Auntie's question. A question really for all of us, which is, if you're judging my life, tell me what you have done with yours. She goes on to say, there are probably a lot of your actions that you don't think are wrong, but to her and to others, maybe they are. I don't think Auntie is just saying defensively, judging her is like, the tea kettle calling the pot black, I think she is looking for more than that. She's pointing out that we all have parts of our lives that others disagree with and that we should not simply fall into quick judgment. Rather, can we come together to find shared truth? I think it is at the center of why Auntie wanted to share her story. Life is always more complicated or gray than the black and white world we often want it to be. We do need each other and all our differing views to find our way through the gray. This conversation, for sure, is not meant to define the lines of right and wrong. That's for all of us to work through. Rather, it is just asking us to stop and reflect on the complexity of life and give space for each other on the issues we differ on. Drugs are a polarizing force in our society. Some believe there should be zero tolerance for drug users and dealers, while others, such as Auntie, believe that all drugs should be made legal. Listening to each other is the first step in finding the shared truth. Auntie feels she has lived a good life, guided by her love of people. She knows she has pushed the edges of what society approves of, but also that she has held true to her own sense of what is right and wrong, her own code of ethics. She says without reservation, she has no regrets. So you're 70 and you're going to live to 90, or maybe 100, sorry, I didn't mean to 114 is 114. What, what my goal is. All right, that's excellent. So that's, that's 44 more years. What are you going to do? I'm just going to be a good girl now. I'm not going to sell drugs, put it that way. Mm. But if I had to, I would. Yeah. You know, I would. I'd be out there in a minute doing the same thing. But you don't have to. So you but don't. I don't have to, yeah. yeah. So what? do you have goals? What, what What do you want? I know you're a gardener. I know you love taking care of B and hanging out with B. 
Yeah. What? Well, and you got lots of friends in this building, I know, because you, oh, yeah. you make friends everywhere you go. <laughs> you know, like, I like to go on a cruise ship. I could talk that damn captain into letting me drive that boat. <laughs> You Know Me Now is produced, written, and edited by Tomas Bernatsky and me, Rex Holbein. We would like to give a heartfelt thanks to Auntie for sharing a little about herself with all of you. Join the conversation on the You Know Me Now Facebook page and our website at www.youknowmenow.com where we have posted a short humorous audio clip of when Auntie found out she had died. On our webpage are also other stories of folks we feel you should get to know. Thanks for joining in.